Good afternoon. This is H.T. Webster. This is episode seven of season one of my podcast, Shared Consequences. On the last few podcasts, uh, we talked a little bit about um, the grooming that takes place uh, when a predator is after your child. Uh, Today we're going to talk about, or today I'd like to talk a a little bit about um, the environment that my family life was in at the time that this all started to occur. And this is in no way about laying blame and this might not be easy for my family to listen to on uh, these parts, but in order to, you know, accurately depict uh, the things that went on, you know, we have to talk about all of our demons. Um, again, this is in no way laying blame against anybody. Um, in my family unit, it's just a matter of explaining the circumstances that allowed um, this predator to easily um, hone in on me as a victim. So I'm 13, my sister's 16. Um, as I mentioned before, we just moved to Afton. Um, but my family life was starting to unravel, uh, my, my father especially at this time. Um, I want to say he was in his mid thirties, um, as a new mortgage, you know, we had always rented prior to that. So, you know, that's a heavy burden and, um, he's got this house to pay for and, um, a family to take care of and provide for. My mother also worked, but my dad started to drink, uh, more and more heavily when I was around right after we first moved into the house. Um, He seemed to stay out longer and longer at times. And then there were other times when um, I remember he didn't, uh, wouldn't even come home before we went to bed where we used to, he used to come home before um, supper, you know, every night. So he's progressing into his own downward spiral. That's taking place. I'll steal a line from Pat Conroy here. Um, one of my favorite authors. So my parents are basically waging their own war with each other. Um, my mother uh, is trying to reel him back in. So she's focused on her marriage. She's focused on her mortgage. She's focused on trying to get my father um, back to the place he was before the, the alcoholism really started to take hold. And we're in this new town um, to us. So everybody's just kind of, you know, spiral spiraling a little bit so so there's a definite change in my home life so when when things like that start to to happen to in a child's life we portray that uh evidence if you will to others um whether we consciously do it or not you know those things are going to come out you're going to act out basically, as I would guess is what they say. So, you know, maybe my grades start to slip. Maybe I start to do shit I'm not supposed to, you know, be doing. Your behavior just changes a little bit slightly. But to the people that are paying attention, um, it's very recognizable. So the principal, you know, now of this school who is now my... um, ally and friend and uh you know we're probably into maybe six or seven months now of starting in afton 
is very aware that, you know, there's a change in my behavior. So I'm in gym class one day and we get out of gym and uh, this, I go back in the locker room to change into my clothes to go to my next class and my gym locker is empty. And like, we didn't have locks or anything on your gym locker at that time, you know, and just threw your shit in a hole and went out and, and did the stupid, you know, uh, square dance thing and came back in, got dressed and, and went to math. But so I come back into the gym and my clothes are gone. Like my school clothes. I'm like, what is going on? So I come out of the, the locker room into the hallway and there's this girl that was in gym class with me. And again, wicked small school. So, you know, not hard to spot anybody. And she's got my fucking clothes on. And I'm like, what is happening? So I confront her in the hallway and she starts calling me a liar, screaming, and she pushes me and I push her back and she drops her books and we start to, you know, tangle up with each other and get in a fight. And uh, next thing you know, um, there's a principal yanking, yanking us apart, sends one um, of us to the guidance counselor and takes me with him. So I remember being in the office and I was nervous because I, I didn't want to be in trouble and I certainly didn't want him to be disappointed in me, um, you know, because, you know, this is somebody that paid special attention to me and, and was nice to me and I, I didn't want that to go away because my home life, that part of my father was already going away. You know, he was so entangled in his own drama that's not the right word he was just so entangled in his own battle that um you know he couldn't be there for us in, in the way that he was before certainly not emotionally so now i'm i'm missing that piece so let's stop there so now you have a a, a child that's already vulnerable because they're in a new place but now they're going to be even more vulnerable because something that they need they're no longer getting from the people that are to be providing it to them. And a predator like this principal can smell that blood, you know, a mile away. So first fight, sits me down, closes his office door. Now there's secretaries, like three or four secretaries in that office. So you'd have to walk past this counter and all the desks of the secretaries to get to his office. So you get to his office, you close the door, and, you know, he's angry, you know, what's going on with you? This isn't like you, um, you know, what's happening. And of course, and I just start to cry and I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, and, and I don't know, remember a lot of those details, but I remember crying, sitting in the chair across from his desk, crying. And so the door in his office had like a uh, frosted glass at the top. So it was like a wood pan on the bottom and had frosted glass at the top. And I remember him getting up with a box of tissues and he's, he brought tissues over to the chair that I was sitting in. But when he did, he said, I want you to wipe your nose and I want you to turn around and lock the door. And they had that little, that little lock on the, on the knob. And, you know, I'm in the throes of my own demise, you know, like this is going to be the end of my world because I got in a fight and I'm probably going to get suspended and my dad's going to be really fucking mad when he does come home. 
So I, I don't know why I, it didn't alarm me, but I did what he said. You know, I'm blowing my nose with one hand. I locked the door with the other hand. Once I locked the door, he grabs my hand, picks, like pulls me up to stand me up out of the chair. And he said, I know what you need. And he said, come here. And he sat in his big office chair and he took my hand and he sat me on his lap and he just put his arms around me and was holding me like maybe like your dad would your father would you know so now i'm sobbing even more feeling completely safe you know in this place and getting what it is that i need that i am i'm no longer getting in my family life um due to unforeseen circumstances so again, just con- he continues to build that trust, continues to build that trust um, with me. So still at this point, I mean, we're close to criminal here. Yeah, um, but we're not really, you know, in, in that moment, we're not. But I guess the what I want to convey in this episode mostly is the, you know, the environment. <clears throat> I'm not saying that kids from strong, healthy families don't get the crimes of sexual abuse committed against them. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I, I, but I will say that I don't think there's as many um, as it was for us from, so my home wasn't broken at the time, but it was definitely fucking breaking. And he recognized that instantly. I mean, instantly, you know, like a shark with smelling blood in the water miles away. And as the story goes on and I continue to tell you more, I'll explain to you how all of his special students, um, as we'll say, all had the same backgrounds. So father was a drunk, father not there, father beat the mother, mother's a drug addict, you know. All of us that were singled out by him you know, could have been the poster kid for vulnerability because that's who's easiest for these people to prey on because he already knows we're missing things. We're needing things that we're not getting. And he's more than happy to step uh, step in and, and give them to you for you. Obviously, essentially for him. So I just wanted to point that out. And I also want to say, Dad, you know, Please understand if you're listening to this, it's it's not about blaming you. And I, I know that we've tried to have this conversation before you and I, but I, I don't blame you. I'm just trying to, to make the world understand the how easy it was for this man to do what he did. Uh, we'll just say that we didn't make it difficult for him, you know. Um, please know that I, I, I know with all my heart that if you... If you could go back knowing what happened and undo everything that led up to that point in time, I know for sure that you would. So uh, again, I'm just trying to educate people. I'm not trying to lay blame on anybody. So uh, so that's, you know, that's part of the, the hunting grounds is to find the, the, the misfits, the fuck ups, and uh, are the ones that are, are getting fucked up, you know, and uh, start to become lost. He, he's he's gonna find them so 
Okay, that one was a little tough to get through. <laughs> thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for your patience as I try to go through this and uh, explain to you how these things happen from begin. I'm going to try to go from beginning to end, so that somebody else can understand if, if they see these signs and symptoms, or if they've been through it themselves, that they know that they're they can get to the other side. So thanks for listening and we'll talk soon.